With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Director of Public Hey everybody, today's guest is Tony Scalzo from the Austin, Texas rock band Fastball. Together we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind their breakout smash hit single, The Way, taken from their 1998 album, All the Pain Money Can Buy. Tony was a lot of fun to talk to. He's equal parts quirky, fun, musically knowledgeable, and self-deprecating, all rolled into one. He mentioned that The Way was lyrically inspired by a newspaper headline he read one morning, and how he turned that idea into a demo, where some parts of that demo were tweaked and actually made it onto the recording that we hear today. Tony gave props to producer Julian Raymond, who brought everything together in the studio. The track wasn't overthought. In fact, Tony just considered it another song in the bunch, not realizing at the time what a monster hit they had on their hands. And in continuing with the quirky theme, we get both a Brandy Carlisle and a Twin Peaks reference in this episode. Pretty cool. For all this and a whole lot more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Well, hey, Tony, how are you? I'm good. How's it going, Chris? It's going very, very well. Uh, where, where are you at today? I'm at home in Austin, Texas. I want to say, and I could be wrong here, fall of 98, I want to say Less Than Jake did one of those radio shows that you guys were on <laughs> back in the day, and I, I don't remember if it was in Austin or not. Yeah, I think, I'll tell you, I think I know what it was. I think it was us, you guys, the Nixons. And Poe, do you remember? And it was at Austin Music Hall. Yes, that's what it was. Exactly. We have a video from that, or at least there's a video on YouTube of our performance. And um, we were pretty aggressive back then. It was it was kind of mind blowing how you know the spark of youth, the fuse was lit. You know, absolutely. We hadn't achieved any real success at all, other than being played on local radio. I think we we're the first band on that bill too. I remember, you know, when your second record came out, All the Pain Money Can Buy came out in January 98, which of course spawned the smash hit The Way that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, but, it, but I'll correct you. It came out in April. It of did. 98, yeah. Okay, okay. I mean, it was already recorded. It was in the can. It was mixed, mastered, and we were kind of doing some of the preliminary you know promotion for it going they were already sending it to radio uh, i think by february 
Well, it's crazy. This song was arguably one of the biggest songs of that year. And I remember there was a radio programmer at Capitol Records who, <laughs> this song came out, and I don't know how familiar you are with my band, but we're, you know, like a ska punk band, okay? Right, we, sound, right. we sound nothing like fastball, not even in, in the same world. Definitely at that point, we couldn't even emulate what your band sounded like and try to pull it off even as a cover band, probably. You know, just... and likewise, I mean, <laughs> I don't think we would be able to you know, pull off that. And, you know, it's funny, I kind of came from that area, you know, one of the biggest little bands going just before I moved to Austin was no doubt. And I would actually be able to see them in a room full of like a hundred people. Right. They were, they were very, very good back then. And, you know, they kind of helped with bringing that thing together that you all did. Oh, absolutely. Well, there was this radio programmer, at Capitol, who'd stopped by the studio one day, and he says, hey, you know, you heard that song by Fastball? And we're like, yeah, of course. He's like, yeah, the way. He's like, you guys, you guys need to write something like that. And I remember thinking, like, how? How do you even right. do that? And, well, and they the told same- us the same thing <laughs> after, <laughs> after that. So, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? I, mean, I don't know how to do that. And you can that can sort of go into talking about the actual writing of the song. How was I to know that it would be successful? I mean, I was just doing something I thought was cool. And I guess other people thought it was cool. So that's, I wonder how many things do we actually do that we think are cool though? And they aren't. <laughs> you know, um, like, I, <laughs> it just turns out that they are not. Yeah. I do 50 things a day. I think it's cool. My kids remind me, dad, you're not very cool. Right. Right. <laughs> well, right. was this, was this track the way, first of all, do you remember writing the song? Absolutely. Great. And was it uh, a leftover from your first record, Make Your Mama Proud, or was this written specifically for all the pain money can buy? It was written, yeah, it was written for the, you know, the upcoming album that we were, you know, required to come up with after being on the road touring our first record, Make Your Mama Proud. All of a sudden we got to write, you know, you know the drill, got to make your next album. So it was for that. Yeah, it was for that. And I had a crop of things you know in my little you know work roster but that was you know that was just one of them really it wasn't like a full-on this is the one baby you know uh, there was no inkling of that until um we had already recorded it okay okay so that's what i was going to ask now do you recall if the the demo arrangement was was the same at what ended up on the record or sure Yeah. So we just did a 25 or 20. I can't remember if it's 20 or 25, but we put out a reissue of make your, of uh, all the pain money can buy, which is the album that weighs on. And then we also like added a bunch of tracks and we even added the actual demo of, cause I found an old cassette that said work 97, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's all it said. I was digging for months, literally months. Cause I knew that if I found it, it would, you know, it would at least hold some value to me. But I did finally find it, and then we were able to get it digitized, and we put it on the album, um, the reissue, and it is surprisingly similar. Anyone can see the road that they walk on is paved in gold. It's always It's like we use the demo as a template for the actual recording. 
And so much so that we tried to reproduce the little keyboard kind of, you know, that kind of uh-huh. thing you get yeah. on those old Casios and you were able yeah. to play. So we, we really wanted to try and capture that vibe and then also bring in the full band at, at like the, you know, the second verse so that it had layers of, you know, energy or power or whatever. And so, yeah, the demos were done. I did a bunch of stuff before that album was recorded and we went in the studio. I was left alone out here in Austin. Uh, nobody bugged us or messed with us with about, you know, what are you doing? Uh, how's it going? Said, hey, it's Rob Seidenberg from Hollywood. I just want to know if you, how's it going? <laughs> you know, And then you're like, well, I'm working on some music, you know? But um, I was able to work with a friend who, he, I didn't know anything. I'm still very, you know, uh, rudimentary on my technical, you know, studio, my studio. Right. <laughs> quote, quote. Yeah. Um, I um, was able to get somebody to help me. And he happened to have a keyboard that had this rhythm. And I already had sort of the song. The song was written, but I kind of wanted to demo it and, and turn it into a band, which I didn't have available because, you know, it's surprising, you know, when we're not on the road or in the studio, I see very little of Miles and Joey. And this is a, this is the way it's been all the way back, you know. So uh, most of our songwriting is done separately, though we have collaborated quite a bit. Most of our songwriting, we're at our own places and we're in our own heads. Um, and we tend to bring things to the band later to, to record. But I think Miles is a really big factor in deciding that the demo, um, the coolness of the demo would be ruined by adapting it for a straight rock band. And and he was right. And we were able to, rather than like bring, we did bring that actual, the same keyboard in, but we had it engineered by a dude who made it into a loop that ran verse by verse by verse and choruses, you know, he arranged it with, and he did it so it would be lined up to 440, so it'd be tuned properly, and it would be um, the exact BPMs. That's that what I'm calling percussion. That's kind of running through the, this exactly. Whole song. exactly. Yeah, that that part's awesome. And question for you: mentioned A and R person a moment ago. Was that person Julian Raymond who ended up producing the album? He wasn't our A and R guy, though. He was a vice president of A and R at the time, but he was a, the producer of our record of two records of ours i love his production i did too i've been buddies with the suicide machines out of detroit forever but i i love the later cheap trick records he's done the production's just outstanding and duran duran as well yeah he did the early um (laughs) he did the early insane clown posse stuff and we hung out a lot with suicide machines they were the coolest, man, these Michigan guys. And I, I thought they talked funny. And I think they and I talked funny. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's just cool to get their perspective, you know, what they did. We're all, we all did the same thing. Your band and my band and, and the Suicide Machines and, and all the other bands. We all did exactly the same thing, which is get in a van with a trailer behind it, sleep on it makeshift loft that we built in the back on top of our gear and you know learn to sleep with our head rattling against a glass window and 
you know, that's where we do fall into. That's that is straight 90s. That's the deal. That's what it was. I mean, we all read Get in the Van and we were all like, you know, informed by the DIY punk thing. And it turned into a way of life for us. And uh, though people do it today, I think things are very different. I mean, if you're able to really go on the road, you're doing things a little bit differently. You know, you're probably doing things a little bit safer. You're probably, you know, maybe even sleeping in your own bed. Mm-hmm. I would lo- I've always wanted to do a, a reality show today and put a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds in a van with no smartphones for a month. No just, a, just, just an no atlas. At all. Just a, yeah, just an atlas, <laughs> just an atlas and a map. And you have to use pay phones along the way if you can find them. Yeah, or, you and, sound like old man, dude. We are, we are. <laughs> Well, um, and I, one last thing about Julian Raymond, I, I, I don't feel he gets talked about enough or gets the praise he should as a producer. Again, I've always loved his stuff. And I think there's just su- something special ab- about this track, the way that we're going to we're going to break into right now. Right on. Right on. The the song is four minutes and seventeen seconds. There's a five four twenty. Sec- yeah, four twenty. <laughs> four twenty. Okay, <laughs> four twenty. It's a five second uh, intro. Which which Tony, I got to ask you. You know, was this was a little bit. Uh, I don't know. It's it it doesn't seem like anybody at a label at that time or anybody at a radio station would want radio interference of channel changing at the start of a hit single. Well, we didn't. Th- we were not thinking about that for sure. Mm-hmm. I know we weren't thinking about it. But after hearing you say that, I would say it's just the opposite. And that once they heard, "Hey, it's the sound of us. It's it's us. We're on this record." That's what wow. the radio people thought. They were like identifying with it immediately. And listen, man, it's got a real powerful. I mean, this is all in retrospect. I could say, you know, I meant to do that, right? <laughs> but it just wouldn't be true. And not taking away any credit from Julian, but he did. He's like, I go, I don't know if it was, whether it's me or Miles, frankly, but I definitely turned the dial on that radio. And we put a mic in front of it. And Julian's just like, go ahead, set up a mic over there and have him do it. And we did it. And that was the first thing, the take of it. We didn't really, that's the way it came out. That's awesome. And that's the summer of 1997. And so what you're hearing is little bits of things, you know, a car commercial or something in Espanol. And um, I think Jewel's on there. Yeah, Foolish Games by Jewel. Right. Um, so, you know, that's my theory is that that helped. It's like we brought in the radio mojo to give, and you know, it's funny. You, you have a hit like that on the radio. You're going to be in more radio stations by far than any employee at any radio station. (laughs) You know, never thought about it like that. Yeah. You're going to be doing that. It's much the same with flights, hotels, I'm in more hotels than anybody who works at a hotel. So I think I do have some kind of say as to what the way things should be. Yeah. So radio, radio is like, I got to learn the the thing a little bit. I don't know. It never did me any good, Um, but I I really enjoy speaking, you know, at radio stations and 
doing this kind of thing with people. And well, that this whole intro does seem like it. You just threw a mic up, like you said. It doesn't seem like it was belabored or, or overthought, which I which I think is great. At the six second mark, the verse progression comes in for two bars. You got drums, you got keys, you got piano, bass, guitar, guitar, and that percussion loop that's going through it. Right. And this goes straight into verse one. We made up their minds and they started backing. We left before the sun came up that day. An exit to eternal summer slacking. They made up their minds and they started packing. They left before the sun came up that day <laughs> An exit to eternal summer slacking. But where were they going without ever knowing the way? I think that we need a little background on what I'm talking about. So I'm, a, I'm literally addressing, not literally, <laughs> definitely not literally. I am addressing a story that I had read in the newspaper that day, that morning, said missing couple from Texas still haven't been found. It's been like a week and a half or something. And I'm like, I just started speculating on, well, I'm not gonna find them and stuff like that. Yeah, kind of pessimistically. And, uh, I just started riffing on that, you know, what? what's the deal, what's the story? So I started writing my own story around that story fictionalizing it and turning it into, you know, this sort of dream in my head of, wow, they wanted to maybe become more uh, exclusive to each other uh, after raising a family and having grandkids and all that. And just being this sort of, oh, we're going to go to, you know, mom and pops or whatever. Um, they wanted more of their identity that they shared, the identities they shared together when they, first became a couple. So super romantic notions of like being revitalizing their relationship. So, you know, maybe they just wanted a bail and wanted to be on their own. So they play in hooky from their lives. And I don't think that it really, I don't think I let on the tragedy or what it is that I'm actually singing about throughout the song, but I think it betrays a dark, dark vibe around it somehow, um, even though it's ultimately optimistic, you know, when you talk about the literal lyrics. Yeah. You know, so you can, you know, and then the second verse you might read, read on. Chris. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> read we're, we're, on the we're, second verse. We're going to get to that in a second. I want to talk about this first half here. It's very lo-fi. There's, there's a very stripped down feel here. I want to explain, you had mentioned what the track, what you thought the tracks were. Yeah. You know, I might, I'm going to go out on a limb and I could be technically wrong, but I don't believe it's much more than the actual loop that we built from that keyboard that I demoed the song with. No kidding. Yeah, I think that what you're hearing in those, it's just my vocal, mm -hmm. a couple of the radio thing that comes on, and then it's just the first sequencing of that, that loop. You know, yeah. like, oh, eh, 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 eh. 
that's all just like this patch that was on it was called a country country blues patch that some <laughs> japanese engineer in 1985 made this thing he recorded this patch and it has that piano going that honky tonk ding 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 yeah. ding 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 and i think that's really about it there may be some percussive stuff that joey threw in there to fill it out more but see that's the whole thing is the second verse comes in and it's yeah the bass the bass and drums drop into it and it becomes probably 50 percent bigger oh well that's what i say you know it's like the electricity gets kicked on for the second half right it's awesome so i figured there was some kind of filter on that first half which 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 there was now back when you made this record right around the time bands were starting to get into pro tools was this done to analog tape or, or to pro tools um this record was all recorded to tape to, to two inch tape and it was 24 track Neve Studer. I don't know if I'm sure they probably transferred drums onto a, you know, a smaller amount of tracks, but I don't know. I, I really don't know, like a kind of a layman, but a lame man. And, um, what was the question? Oh no, no, yeah, no. I was just, I was just talking about whether it was on Pro Tools or whether it was a tape. Yeah, it was, it was before, it was before all that. Yeah, and it yeah. was mixed. It was mixed from tape, I believe, by Chris Lord Algae. Right on. Okay. But it was the last. It was the last. I, well, the next album was kind of like that, but Pro Tools came into. We then we started making. And I'll just, I'll just digress a little bit or progress. We went to recording on tape and then transferring to Pro Tools. And then we slowly went to recording drums to tape, transferring to two, to half inch, and then, you know, putting that on a Pro Tools, you know, a couple channels on the Pro Tools, and then boom, now we're exclusively, <laughs> you know, exclusively Pro Tools. <laughs> we still work in studios. We still use microphones. We use a lot of gear a lot of old school gear and instruments and I don't know, you can't get away from, you know, having to play, having to perform and having to sing, but you can do it faster now. That's what the beauty is. Anybody who knocks digital, I mean, I've seen, I've, I've had to go have a smoke for three hours while a guy edits tape when you knew damn well, you could do the take if they just let me do it again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so (laughs) (laughs) we didn't really know how to do records very well at all. I mean, we were lucky to be working with someone like Julian Raymond and before him, Jerry Finn, Jerry Finn did our first record and he taught us a lot of stuff. He was teaching us how to, how to be a full on like hard punk band, like offspring or, or um, rancid and you know we gleaned a lot of positive stuff from that but that's really not where we were going yeah um but we learned a lot about recording drums and guitars and um and then julian brought us into the full sort of symphonic orchestral scope of things literally with like here's an orchestra and here's bennett salve and he's gonna he has composed an arrangement for your song, so-and-so, you know, and that's how it became. Yeah. And as you can imagine with a major label, that's like whew, the money involved and just like the whole 
it's big. It's like making a movie. Oh yeah. And, and back then the labels had, had the money to spend as you know, uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, but there, it's, you know, I, I have to remind everybody again, it's not their money. It's our money, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's our money because we're going to have to pay for it eventually. Absolutely. And, you know, 88,000 records sounds amazing to people today. If you can sell 88,000 CDs, like say at, on a tour, you're killing it. Right. But if you like have just sold a million records and your next record sells 88,000. It's an utter failure. <laughs> probably not going to be another record. <laughs> no. And not, there wasn't. Yeah. There wasn't. Not with Hollywood. Hey, everybody, we got to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but we got lots more with Tony Scalzo after the break. Chris, on my first day of high school, I wore a Green Day Dookie t shirt. <laughs> and I've always kind of wanted another one. So I went on our sponsor, rockabilia.com's website, and oh my God, the amount of Green Day Dookie merch that you can get there. Dude, not only did they have the Green Day 1994 tour t shirt on there, they also had. The Dookie album cover in a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, like everything you could imagine of that album and just Green Day in general was at rockabilia.com. So my mind was kind of spinning on what to buy with the Demakes discount code that gets me 15% off. That's right. I got to tell you, you know, they got brand new stuff that appears vintage, looks vintage, old designs. It's amazing. Over 500,000 items, more band merch than any other company or website. And yeah, use the discount code Demakes. D-E-M-A-K-E-S to get 15% off your order. I'm already over uh, close to $300 now, Chris. I have bought so much stuff, not only for gifts for people, but for myself. I need to put the brakes on here soon. I was eyeing up this Elton John, Benny, and the Jets t-shirt on there. (laughs) I'm like, all these years of loving Elton John, I don't have an Elton John t-shirt. It might be time to pull the trigger on rockabilia.com and get myself one. Maybe our listeners will get you like, you know, 500 of them will buy you an Elton John shirt. (laughs) I don't need that many Elton John shirts, but if you're going to get me an Elton John shirt, get it on rockabilia.com. You can get 15% off with the Demakes discount code. Plus, you can support the artists on rockabilia.com because everything is officially licensed. You could choose from over 500,000 items. And on top of that, Rockabilia is a sponsor of Chris Demakes a Podcast. It's just a big encompassing thing. You're helping everybody out. And most importantly, you're helping yourself out or a friend by buying something cool. That's right. They don't just have t-shirts. They have jigsaw puzzles. They have ashtrays. They have belt buckles. They have action figures. All kinds of stuff over at rockabilia.com. Use the promo code DEMAKES to get 15% off, man. You won't regret it. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. And now back to the show. The second half of this verse is interesting because there are harmonies on every line.
They drank up the wine, and they got to talking. They now had more important things to say. And when the car broke down, they started walking. Where were they going without ever knowing the way? I'm going to start with the final verse of that section. And it's a tag. And it's literally a Bob Dylan, like, you know, kind of trick. That's how we're going to make this song. You know, every song, every verse is going to have this thing at the end. That's the hook. That's the tag. Mm -hmm. So my goal was to try to make verses lead up to those that line specifically because it's in the, at the end of the reverse. It's great, as, as you said. It's it's a hook within the song that's not in the chorus. It's great. Uh So what they do on this thing that they started to do on the first verse, they obviously had a bottle <laughs> a bottle of wine or two in the car. So that I think that brings a little bit of a dark vibe going. And um, so they're in the road, on the road, in the car, they drank up the wine. All of a sudden, you know, when you have a couple of drinks, takes away that layer of inhibition and the truth comes out. Truth juice, you know, they're drinking that truth juice and they started talking about some more, you know, some things that were applicable to them, you know, as a couple. And what was that third line? They drank yeah, the third line was they now had. Oh, more but their car broke down. What yeah. the fuck? What are, we, what are they going to do now? <laughs> they were just making, you know, breaking ground on this, you know, important thing they were doing, and now they're fucked. So that's that again brings in that sort of the darkness sort of bleeds in. Yeah, well, I love I love the imagery of what's going on there, and I had written in my notes. This whole verse reminds me of a movie scene from like a Quentin Tarantino flick, like Pulp Fiction or Grace. something. It's, it's got like that. Fantastic. It's got that vibe to it. And the lyrics certainly lend a hand to that. There's some really cool arpeggiated guitar panned off left, almost like a tremolo that happens on the second half. Also sounds like, Tony, like some bongos come in, a guiro and shakers on this part. I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm not sure. And I think that on this album... Joey does most of the percussion on on the next record on Harsh Light of Day. We we had a, a really fantastic Latin percussionist come in, but I think on this record it's Joey you're hearing that stuff and whatever kind of guitar tracks we could pull out of Miles for this song. Did you have Luis Conte come in on the next record? Yes, that's, that's who it was? I, uh, Thank you. Yeah, Luis, Luis <laughs> Conte. Yeah, Luis Conte. He's he he's is played on all kinds of records. He's man. the best. That guy came in on one of our records. He was there a half hour. Played. Through, I mean, it, he was so fast. Got out his box of tricks. Unbelievable. Uh -huh. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you something else about this uh, second part of this verse. The bass here. The bass is super tasteful against the drums. I love what the bass is playing here. And I love the tonality to it. I'm on the bass on this particular yeah. record. Joey and I had been playing together bass and drums. That's all we'd ever done together for a few years at this point. Um, we were in another band together and we got to know each other really well. We hung out together. We were out, we did a record out in Memphis for like a month. So we were living together and eating together, riding bikes, going to see movies recording not really just sitting there reading books really because we're the bass player and the drummer we're done yeah uh, we're stuck out there so we're done we got to know each other and then you know we when we formed fastball he was in that band with us too and is to this day 
So we had a lot of seasoning between the two of us. Well, you can you can feel that interplay. It's not fake in any way. And I'll tell you again, there's harmonies on every line here. Then we get into the chorus. There's no harmonies on the chorus at all, which I find interesting. Anyone can see the road that they walk on is paved in gold. And it's always summer. They'll never get cold. They'll never get hungry. They'll never get old and gray. You can see their shadows wandering off somewhere. They won't make it home, but they really don't care. They wanted the highway. They're happier there today, today. Wow. I think that the chorus kind of kind of refutes my earlier comment that I didn't think I let on any kind of like bad shit that went down with these these people but i think this chorus kind of spells it out don't you well, yeah, but <laughs> when I, says that's it oh they won't make it home yeah they won't make it home but i try to throw in this optimistic thing but they love it they're walking hand in hand together where they are maybe they might not be in this plane right that they're 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 gone. But if you're with your soulmate, you'll never get cold, never get hungry, never get old and gray. Also, if you're dead. If you're, <laughs> <laughs> if you're dead. But I'm telling you, there. I don't know. There's something about this. Again, the imagery here. It 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 is great. It is the it is the perfect chorus for what has gone on. But again, was there ever talk in the studio? You're in there with Julian. Hey, we got to put harmonies here because it's interesting. There's no harmonies here, but they're in the verses. It's cool. Uh, this is a great name dropping moment. Um, we were playing at the tractor. Actually, it was Miles and me were doing an acoustic duo thing at the tractor in Seattle. And this was probably, oh man, about 20 years ago, maybe, maybe about 18 years ago. And Brandy Carlisle and her brother were opening up the show. Brandy Carlisle was a teenager. Okay. She was virtually unknown outside of her her clique and her scene. And I met her backstage and she was all over that song. And she's like, me and my brother do a cover of that. And we do a harmony on the chorus. And I'm like, <laughs> I go, she goes, how come you don't do that? And I go, well, you know, if it occurred to me to do it, I probably would have. But I, I'm, you know, and then now I'll get back to you and me. I think that I, we just didn't think of it and it didn't need it. Yeah. And also, this wasn't a major priority, this song. It wasn't. I mean, I'm not saying that any song was really more significantly. Um, Fire Escape, I think a lot of time was spent on that and to good effect out of my head. We did some things on that that are fairly, fairly different from the way we've been doing stuff. But the way, I mean, even though we were doing this weird track before the actual band comes in, we weren't thinking about it as a major work. 
Well, that's what I, t- I and I usually ask this question. I'm glad you brought. I'm glad you brought it up. You know, was this kind of just another song in the batch at this point? It wasn't like this is the part big of the song. batch. Part, part of the of batch. batch. Okay. For sure. Okay. Uh, well, again, in my notes here, I wrote so catchy. You know, it does. So it, as yeah. you said, it, it does. It doesn't. It doesn't need the harmony. It, you okay, know, to back up and be, because it wasn't. It was just sort of one of the batch, and we had a lot of songs we had to record. Yeah. And we had a lot of boxes on that big, you know, poster to fill. Oh, yeah. Remember that. <laughs> Absolutely. Remember when we would do that? Um, so because of that, you know, it just kind of got, okay, this sounds done. Mm-hmm. And we just moved on. Well, for the listeners, what, what Tony was just alluding to was the the big poster board we all have in the studios. Right. We, we still do it where you have the, the song it's list. It's a good and, way to do stuff. Yeah, you got drums, bass, guitar, and you just go through and you check everything off as you do it. It's a checklist. So you don't, yeah. you know, when, when you're working on 13, 14 songs, you can't remember two days later, hey, we, did, did we do the tambourine in this song? So you have it up there. It's yeah. true. It's true. Right on. Well, uh, the guitar in the chorus is panned off left. There's an arpeggio. The guitar on the right is strumming chords. Uh, and it's kind of got this 12-bar blues feel going on. The piano panned off left has a real honky-tonk feel here in the chorus. And I have to ask, did being from Austin, Texas inspire that at all? That, that uh, you know, kind of honky-tonk uh, sound there. You know what? I've, already, I've always had that. I've always had that. I've always been drawn to roots music. Mm-hmm. I've been drawn to the blues and I grew up listening to country and I grew up in Southern California with a mother who was you know, an Elvis fan in high school. So I had like Dwayne Eddy records, the platters, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, um, Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson was really big in the family, but I love early rock and roll and to me blues and early rock and roll are kind of the same thing and the same feel and miles has you know he was baptized in that kind of well this this song you know, blues has bands and same with joey this song has like this uh, it's like this americana uh, i don't know innocence to it but it's dark at the same time but it's also uplifting I, I, it's hard to explain there's a lot going on in this track it's a really it's a really special tune in that respect. Right. Well, we were dealing with all kinds of elements that we didn't really know about. So we, we can't claim to, and I don't think Julian can either. It can claim to like be wizards that we, we were able to put them all together. And this is the recipe and just the right amount, of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> No, well, again, to your point, this was just another song in the batch. You you never know as an artist. I mean, how many times have you, have you demoed songs or had songs where you're, this is the one, and like it just doesn't do anything. You go to play it live. Not, it yeah, doesn't... fortunately, not too many because I just I stopped thinking that way a long time ago, before this record, actually. Well, that's good. That's good. You know, I, I think that you always got to go with what your artistic mind wants. And man, I never want to like threat. Like we've made a few mistakes in the past, I think, because I listen to some of our tracks and I'll hear stuff that's put in there that sounds so dated, like a sample of somebody saying something, you know, and it's just like, we did not need to do that. Right. <laughs> you know, it just sounds so <laughs> 1998. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the label didn't mind, but I wouldn't blame it on the label. It was, it was our own insecurities. Mm-hmm. It was our own artistic, you know, second guessing. Any band that says they haven't done that's lying. I mean, we've 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 all <laughs> we, we've all done it. Uh, right out mm-hmm. of chorus one, we get into verse two. 
my God, we're only on verse two. I would call this verse three, by the way. So one, two, chorus three. We'll call it verse three. Their children woke up and they couldn't find them. They left before the sun came up that day. They just drove off and left it all behind them. But where were they going without ever knowing the way? Getting that hook again on that last line. Well, I mean, a lot of people might take it out of context and say they're going to jail for being negligent parents and (laughs) (laughs) driving off and leaving their children. Because I say children, I mean, you can't say offspring. You can't say they're grown-up children, you know, they're adult (laughs) children, you know, they're kids. You can't, nothing works, but children sounds good and it sounds the most poetic to me. Um, so I did get a lot of questions like, what the hell, man? What these people just left their kids? <laughs> you know, some some people do. On the floor, <laughs> on the floor in their own filth. <laughs> Well, that arpeggiated guitar in the other verse, uh, Pandoff left. It sounds louder in the mix here, Tony, or EQ'd slightly hotter than verse one. It really sticks out here on verse two in a great way. And I swear the bongos and that percussion, maybe even that underlying sample, it seems more pronounced here. Well, it's still there. And I think um, you can really, the track making on this between Julian and Oh my gosh. Chris Lord Algae, the guy who mixed it? No, 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 not Chris. The engineer. Because I was going to say, we know Chris Lord Algae mixed our record 98 at the same time. Well, then, as you know, Chris has a sort of method. Yes. It's, uh, you know, technically, again, I can't, I wouldn't be able to describe it, but he tends to describe it with one word, and it's called spank. (laughs) Chris Lord Algae uses the word, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put the spank on it. That's what he says. And apparently it's some degree of compression and this and that. That's why all our records sound similar and they have the same sort of bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, and they're perfect for 90s radio. Yeah, well, Chris would do that. He would he would mix a little bit louder here in the second verse. And again, it just kind of kind of lifts there. Well, so maybe it was Chris then. I mean, I don't know, but I, I tend to think that that we designed the tracks and built, we architected the tracks, you know, and layered them up so that it would have that effect. But, you know, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about half the time. So. No. <laughs> Either <laughs> do I, Tony. Um, there's also a backing vocal here. Just after the line, they just drove off and left it all behind them. And the uh-huh. the backing vocal is leaving it all behind, panned off right. It's kind of like a blown out filtered sound that happens there. Behind them. I think he's probably just, you know, got a little bit of like maybe he's using a a 57 or something and it's like all no compression and super dead telephone. What we would use today when logic called the telephone vocal. Yeah. The telephone uh, plug in. Yeah. You know, that was really popular back then. You know, remember um, that song um, Novocaine for the soul. And he would have like, the verses would be all that telephone vocal. Jesus and his lawyer are coming back. I think that was kind of a trendy thing, and you know, 
he still sings that when we when we play it live. And when he doesn't do it, I kind of what? Why yeah. did you do that? <laughs> why isn't it, why isn't it there? Right. Well, I like right. that part. It's the only time it comes in here, and then we go straight into chorus to. same lyric that we get in chorus yeah, one uh, chorus. it sounds like both guitars again are EQ'd a bit hotter here and the strumming pattern on guitar right panned off right is a bit looser of a feel than chorus one and again this wasn't done to pro tools so this was kind of like how you played it that past right. i'd love these masters but i'll i'll never see them but i'd love to get my hands on them i really would yeah but I, I, I love how that happens. And at the very end here on this chorus, on today, there's a harmony. It's not on chorus one, and it's held out longer here. It's about two bars. And then we get into an eight-bar guitar solo. It sounds like, a, <laughs> sounds like a hollow body. I wrote my notes here. It's like a spaghetti western this reminds me of here. Over the verse progression here for eight bars, and uh, I love I love the solo. It's it's perfect for what's going on here. We all loved that solo. We we loved it. It had it took some doing. We had to like, you know, really get it. We get him to focus, and I, I recall it was me and Julian just being like helicopters over him and probably driving him crazy and and inhibiting him yeah in in a way to go back to the guitar i'm pretty sure it was his uh tennessean the red tennessean which was you know i could be wrong it could be a casino and it could be one of julian's you know many many guitars but i'm pretty sure he was using that tennessean for that and it does have that great guttural tone, that low, mid, not a hint of crunch, but like natural uh, kind of string distortion. Yeah, there's some, there's definitely some fuzz on it. And it doesn't surprise me that this was a part of the song you had to kind of think about for a second, because this part's integral. Right. It really ties it, it ties the song together. It does, because it's, it's back over that verse progression. So you're in that world again, but you're not getting right. the lyrics. It's, this has to be uh, poignant. I think this track, I mean, it's sort of informed by, you know, David Lynch type things like Angela Badalamonte did uh, the soundtrack for Twin Peaks. And he had that dang, 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 that sort of guttural. It's like surf, surfing through slime, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Thank you. 
It is. It's that uh, you know that that Brian Setzer, Dick Dale type thing. It's it's awesome. Right. Right. Yeah. It's very, very cool. Well, we come out of that solo, we go straight into chorus three. And right when the solo ends, it's just the vocals by themselves. You say anyone can see. And then the band comes in on road right there. Anyone can see the road that they walk on is Lyric again doesn't change here, but when we get to the line, they'll never get old and gray halfway through. The piano gets a bit more playful here than chorus one or chorus two. I love that. And at the very end here, Tony, on today, this is held out for three bars with a harmony. On the fourth bar, there's two bars of a synthesizer, almost video game sounding part that builds into an eight bar outro solo. That synth turns into a very 70s, early 80s sound of a video game, almost like a gun on Asteroids or Defender, one of those exactly. old old uh, uh, video games. And then uh, halfway through, you say, leaving it all behind again. And then the band all stops together on that F sharp minor to end the track. But how'd that video game sound come about? That's awesome at the end. It's great. Well, it's actually on the demo. I did that on the demo with a synth that just came in and i kind of like did the oscillator and i and i just hit one note i hit the f sharp minor or the f sharp i guess yeah and just did this thing and then and then it came back in but to do it in the studio we um uh i I gotta go back now and say joe barisi (laughs) joe barisi was the engineer and oh my god well we i can't tell you how many times we've talked about joe on on this show right well we didn't we didn't have joe on the next album with julian so and i was mistakenly thinking of that engineer so um my apologies to the great Joe Barisi. I was listening to Joe's work last night, Tony. He just remixed Holy Diver by Dio. That record. Oh, it, that's dude, that's it, perfect. It sounds perfect it sounds him. it sounds amazing. It's When's so, that coming out? It's already out. Go go okay. check it out. It's All so right. it's so I'll check rad. It out but now. Yeah, I'll no. Check it out right now. Like some never ending will say Holy Diver. You're the star of the masquerade. There's a Dio film coming out. Yes. 
Yes, I think that's probably why they they had they right. had, had remixed it. But <laughs> okay. I got to tell you, don't and don't take this the wrong way. You know, this uh, this song would have been what it was without this synth part. This synth part almost, if you think about it, really seems out of place with the rest of the song. But at the same time, if this whole synth video game thing at the end wasn't here, it wouldn't right. be the same song. It makes the song. It's such a weird transition. What the last thirty seconds of this song goes to. Well, thanks. Um, I guess I agree with that pretty much. You know, uh, we were kind of in the world at that time. And you know who was, I, I got to give props because they totally deserve it. And Greg Camp is a is a genius, okay? Smash Mouth, those records, they really informed what we were doing. And Beck was really informing what we were doing. And we didn't really, we didn't get precious about what worked or what goes you know, they had all this vintage gear they were using and like, well, now we're going to use a Mellotron and now we're going to use this synth or this ferret theremin. And so, you know, we weren't trying to be like ironic or trying to be like off the wall. We were just strictly going with what we feel. We felt like we had a plethora of resources at our disposal. We're at A&M, man. We're at A&M studio. And we got everything we need to make, you know, our Sergeant Pepper or our pet sounds, you know, maybe except the talent, but we, <laughs> you know, but we, we saw it that way. And we saw that we had, you know, we had this great stuff in front of us. We might as well try it, see yeah. what it sounds like. So that same thing for me, it was also already there on the demo. I had, I had done it. It was a little different sound, but Joe managed to facsimilate that sound pretty accurately and and, and make it even better. Um, as you know, on the video, you might not know, that whole part is sort of like, it's broken, like the track ends all of a sudden. Yeah. And then there's a scene where Miles is running off this roof. And it's funny because he's got a guitar while he's running. But then the stuntman who jumps off the roof doesn't have the guitar. <laughs> but, and then he lands and he's got the guitar. It's so weird. But, you know, that whole thing kind of gets broken up and you don't hear that synth thing until, until like, we drive off. It's great because, you know, again, the videos were still selling a lot of records back then, as, as, yeah, we, as we all know. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky. And I got to say that it, it really helped that I had already I already knew Mick G because growing up in Southern California, I knew I knew Mark McGrath. I knew Rodney and the Sugar Ray guys. And I knew I knew Taylor Hawkins. I knew uh, Mick G. They all went to the same school. And McGee was up to do that video. He's like, oh, I, I know Tony. Well, I want to do that. So that's that's why we were able to get such a good, crazy, you know, and his whole vibe was do it all. <laughs> you know, like, Yeah, right. It, all of it. All the lights, all the new kind of cameras. Get a fisheye shot in there. Yeah. Colors, wardrobe, choreography, dancers, um, that big production. I'll tell you what, it didn't hurt. Yeah, for it sure. Hurt for sure. Record. Well, before we break, Tony, is there anything that you'd like to leave the listeners? Uh, what you got going on with the band? I know you just released a new album called The Deep End uh, this past June. So what? So what's happening? Well, what's happened is in the last five years, we've actually accelerated our creative output. The pandemic 
I think you might hear this from a lot of artists, probably have already. I don't think anybody was negatively impacted as an artist by being able to focus on their work and, you know, be a, sort of alone in your house and, you know, create all this stuff. And it really kind of set a fire under our asses. We don't have anything else to do. We don't have anything else to do. Let's make music. And in, we've already put out two albums since the pandemic, and we're going for some more stuff right now. We're working now with, we did two albums with Steve Berlin, and uh, those are The Help Machine and this last one, The Deep End. And we also recorded about eight covers. So we've got a few of those in the can, and we've been recording with David Garza out at Sonic Ranch. So we've got some new stuff coming out there. It's, it's not all the way done. So we, we have enough material to keep putting out stuff on a regular basis for our Patreon patrons. We have a Patreon that um, we offer up music early, you know, unreleased stuff, special demos, little, I write a lot. And so I talk about the things that I'm, I'm offering to these people. And in, in exchange, they support our band with, uh, they, they support the Patreon account with like $5 a month or $7 a month or, you know, maybe 70 bucks a year. And it really helps. And it, we, we save the money to go in the studio so we don't have to open up a credit card account to, you know, that was the, that's sort of like the, the midterm of like the music history of fastballs. Like during that midterm time, we would go into debt to make a record <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and then merch sales would sort of slowly bring, you know, our debt down and then it'd be time to do another, you know, and we don't have to do that anymore because we keep a kitty and we have a slush fund, so to speak. So we're independent, you know, we're, we really are independent and we couldn't be happier. And it's, it's, it sort of sparked our, you know, ability to do more things and, so here I am, and I'm I'm glad I got to do it. I love doing this kind of stuff because it clears it clears the air not only to in to my thinking, it clears the air to the world, and also for me, it really helps me to realize you know the things I've done in my life. You know, they're you know it's easy to forget when you're living your life. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sitting in with us. I appreciate it, Tony. Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Over the love we had, how it all went bad If I could take it all back, I would Cause I never remember the really bad times I only remember the good Hey everybody, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Tony Scalzo But don't even think about turning off this podcast. We got lots more Chris to make a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. 
Hey, if you need a unique, thoughtful, and inexpensive gift for a friend or loved one, check out iloveenamelpins.com. Make someone's day by giving them a little present to show you care. Over 80 different pins are available, everything from cats and dogs to your favorite celebrities. And to top it off, you can use the discount code ChrisDemakes at checkout to save 30% on your order. iloveenamelpins.com. Give them something to wear that shows that you care. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Not, spelled N-O-T, a punk rock band from Los Angeles, California, featuring Davey Warsop on lead vocals, Brendan Scholes on guitar, Jared Cooper on bass, and Kyle Whitmore on the drums. Their debut album, Stop the World, will be out in April 2023. Give them a follow on Instagram at the band Not. Here's a snippet of the album's title track and first single, Stop the World. We could stop the world. Maybe you could be my girl. Maybe I could give you something that I promised you. Oh, we could stop the world. Maybe I could be your girl. The Rap with Chris and Chris. Chris, I thought that was an awesome episode. I was smiling the whole time. Tony was cracking me up during the whole thing. And also, I loved hearing the story behind such an interesting song. You knew there was a story there. Even if it wasn't completely clear from the lyrics, you knew there was some kind of story. And I thought the story was really cool. Yeah, I I use the term imagery a lot. There's a lot of imagery here, especially in that chorus when, you know, just, just the lyrical sentiment there. But the fact that he got up one morning and was reading the paper about this couple that had gotten lost and turns it into a song. And again, how many times have we heard this, Chris, on the show that this was just another song in the batch? No one was paying any extra special attention to it. It was just another one of the songs. And who could have ever known this would have been their standout smash hit? Well, that was one of the most notable things, what you just brought up, was that he wrote a song based on a news story that he read that morning. And that headline, that news story sparked this story in his head. And he created this thing that is completely made up. Now, not the inspiration for it, but his version of the story is completely made up. That's like being a writer, like a novel writer. Mm -hmm. And he turned this into a hit song. I think that's amazing. It is amazing. We we haven't seen that too many times on this show. It's usually, hey, this was the inspiration behind this track. These were the lyrics, and I had this idea. But this was like someone writing like you said, like a book, like a novel. And the fact that it became this thing, uh, it's, it's amazing. I love that you brought up the radio dial thing at the beginning. I didn't know if you were going to skip right over that. The fact that he has like the radio dial noise. Yeah. And yes, it does seem counterintuitive to put that at the beginning of something that's going to be played on the radio yeah. because people might think like, oh, that's I'm going to change a channel for, you know, <laughs> what's going on with the radio right now. But I thought it was so cool that he said, no, people that worked at radio were like, that's us. That's like what we do. And also the fact that he, he just put a microphone up to the actual radio. I never... I guess I never picked out that Jewel was in there. Yeah, Foolish Games by Jewel. And it, it's amazing that, again, 
his explanation, I never thought he would go there. If anything, Chris, you thought that it would be on the album track, but when they serviced it to radio, they would have cut that part. It just would have came in with the band because they easily could have done that. But no, whoever at Hollywood Records was doing radio promo said, we're sending the single out as is, which they did, and uh, radio programmers embraced it. Good for them. I loved his honesty when he talked about why he didn't put harmonies on the chorus. He was like, Eh, we didn't think of it. <laughs> it didn't need it. We didn't think of it. I mean, that's about the most honest answer ever. There wasn't there wasn't a real deep. It was like, oh, eh, we didn't think of it. And and this song kind of wasn't a priority to us. And that just goes to show, man, you never know. Right. Like if you have a song that isn't your favorite of the batch, you don't know how that's going to translate to the rest of the world. Well, I think that's well, amazing, he mentioned you know? Bob Dylan and Tom Petty, who Bob was one of his main influences. He started a side band, the Traveling Bullberries with him. But Tom Petty was famous as Dylan was with doing. And, and, and Tony was talking about the last line. Where were they going without ever knowing the way? Having a lyrical hook within the verse. You look at I won't back down by petty the last lyric in the a verse for that is i won't back down and the chorus it's i won't back down you're saying the same thing it's great right it's like a landing point for each verse it's like okay well how do i get back to that line and how do i get there a different way each time it's almost like a sort of template or like parameters for songwriting that can really steer you in a really cool direction i love that it's great and what i didn't say to tony didn't bring up that's where you get the title of the song not in the chorus you get it in the verse without ever knowing the way it's it's really it's really cool wow that's such a good point because when i think of this song i think of that last line of the verse it's almost like when you talk to uh when you had ryan key from yellow card on he talked about oh uh ocean avenue that's not even that's not even anywhere near the chorus. That's the first line of the song, but that's what you remember. And then on top of that in this song, the chorus itself is amazingly catchy. If you would have called the song something else, maybe that would be what you remembered. If you would have called the song The Road or Paved in Gold or something, maybe that's what you would think of, but it's almost like this song has a big hook and then on top of that, a catchy as hell chorus. Chris, did you watch Twin Peaks in the 90s? Did you know what he was talking about? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, exactly. I never put two and two together as far as like that guitar sound, but I love that he said it sounded like (laughs) surfing through slime. (laughs) I thought that was really, really awesome. No, and the other thing, and I didn't even ask him this because I know the answer. There's a lot going on in this chorus, word-wise. It's not a hook that's repeating you're singing over and over again, so it's no surprise that all three choruses are the same lyric. You really couldn't hit people with more information <laughs> there but at the same time we have talked about this on the show you get choruses that are too wordy sometimes and there is no payoff there's something about this chorus that just works wonderfully with it with as many words as it has it's great yeah you wouldn't want to change this up if someone gets it down like finally i know all the words to the chorus don't change it up on them that would just be rude <laughs> and i've said this before and i think there's something to it it's kind of a a stretch of a comparison, but it's kind of like those songs like It's the End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M. where it's like, if you know all the words to it, you're excited to sing them because you know them all. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, hell yeah, I know all these words. So I think that makes it a little fun for the person in the crowd to sing along to all those words. I don't know. Just kind of what I think. And Chris, also, 
I'm I'm impressed with your recollection of people's names. I think you're <laughs> you're the best at that. You're the ideal host. Who's that guy's name? You pulled out of nowhere. Did you work with him before? Uh, Luis Conte. He played percussion on, on Less Than Jake record before, uh, as well as uh, we were talking about Joe Barisi at the end, which we've talked about him on the show. But yeah, again, it's my useless knowledge, Chris, that sometimes pays off. You never know when it's going to, but when it does, it's gold. And speaking of useless knowledge paying off, we have a whole other podcast called The After Party. Ah, what a segue. Bravo, bravo. That was a very good one because it's very true. I wouldn't say that the knowledge that you learn on The After Party is necessarily useless. I think it's fun, informative, educational, and... I don't know. A good way to <laughs> good way to pass the time with your good friends, Chris and Chris. That's right. And a good way to support the podcast that yes. you know and hopefully love. Once again, head over to ChrisDemakes.com for the price of a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. You, too, can be part of the after party. We'd love to have you. If you haven't already, please join the Chris Demakes a Podcast Facebook group. It's a lot of fun. Over 4,000 active members. We have a ball in there, so go join if you already haven't. And please, keep spreading the word about Chris Demakes makes a podcast we really appreciate it we could not do it without you tell a friend or 10 we'd appreciate it and give me a follow on instagram at less than chris d i'd appreciate it want to thank this week's guest tony scalzo for sitting with us and we'll see you next week do you enjoy the content and production of chris makes a podcast do you have an idea for a podcast or an existing podcast that you'd like to take to the next level well check out we at WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have over 25 years of combined experience in the pod field, and we're ready to help you succeed in the golden era of podcasting. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.